Greetings, friends of the apocalypse. This is Jared the Apocalypse Nerd Wallace coming to you from Podcast Act Round Zero, episode 22. We got the double deuce going. Uh, <laughs> 22, the apocalyptic fashion, and you might not be able to see, but Scott has his hand in his face right now. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. The last time you used the phrase double deuce, it was uh, after a night of uh, you know eating a lot of Mexican food. Uh, well, it doesn't, it doesn't take that anymore. We're getting old. But <laughs> So anyways, welcome hey, to the move, show. Moving on. So yes, I am Jared W. Wallace, the Apocalypse Nerd, and Adam the Bomb Glancy. Glancy. We're seeing how that name sticks for him. The yeah, Bomb. I don't and think that's going to work. The Bomb. Scott the Bomb Glancy and William T. Thrasher, special guest it's, host it's, with us tonight. Adam. Hello, Adam Survivors. Bomb. You better say that again. I talked to. Said hello, fellow survivors in the wasteland. There, there were rabbits, but uh, they, they were stopped. Just moving along. Let's moving along. Okay. Okay. Uh, so we're talking about. I at least I titled it "Fashion the Apocalypse," but it's really it is about clothing. But clothing, armor. What are you going to wear after the apocalypse? What's going to happen after? What's going to happen long term? And what about all the ridiculous trends that we've seen in movies? I would have dressed more appropriate for this show, but my mohawk and shoulder pads are at the dry cleaners. So well, I, I've got epaulets, so it's I have a nice paramilitary vibe going on for this. There you go. I guess that counts for something. It's it's something. You're more prepared than I was. You know, I'm, I'm, I got the usual. I, well, I got the uniform. I got the I got the nerdiform on the black T-shirt. You know, so. Yeah. So um. And uh, so we're, so we're going to talk about that. And uh, William T. Thrasher, uh, as you know, game designer, artist, illustrator, uh, the the Infinity uh, Live magazine, Skirmisher Publishing, a uh, long list of. Things that makes William T. Thrasher cool. So. And Kettlefish Productions. Kettlefish Productions, thank you. I knew I'd forget something. Is that kettle or cuddle? Kettle. Kettle. Kettlefish. Although, right. although when we do Cthulhu events, it can be cuddle. Yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to cuddle that. Yeah, especially, especially when it's live action. Oh, yeah. So, um, in the news, we're going to talk about a couple, of, a couple of things here first, but the most important thing that I want to talk about is... Uh, those of you who are gamers who know, uh, you know that we are gamers and we love the apocalypse. Is uh, just in this last week, uh, the renowned and mysterious recluse who disappeared back in 1988, artist David A. Trampier, passed away uh, this last week. Uh, Dave's artwork was tremendously involved in the early days of Dungeons and Dragons, uh, from the 70s. Um, uh, into the 80s. I mean, he did artwork on, on the Dungeon, Dungeon Master Guide, Monster Manual. He did the iconic cover for the Dungeon Master, the first hardcover Dungeon Master Guide, the, and, the, the, player's, handbook. and yeah. the player's handbook that he's most well known for. You know, he did work for you know Star Frontiers, uh, Gamma World, Top Secret. He did everything, all the early TSR stuff, Dragon Magazine. He was also the uh, was it the Woymy comic? Which one? Wormy. 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 Wormy uh, was his, you know, the, the dragon who uh, was the outlaw, you know, war gamer. And uh, he was also the co-designer of the, the, the Titan game, uh, Titan, back uh, came out in the late uh, 70s, uh, board game. So uh, we, he passed away. He, uh, people who don't know that much about it, I'll keep it brief. 
Dave had some Dave had some issues. Okay, we're not sure what his issues were, but he uh, got mad back in '88. He didn't whether he didn't like the way things were going. Working for the magazine TSR, he just picked up and left. Um, he disappeared. His checks were returned. There's people who were connected to him, like his brother-in-law is uh, Tom Wham, uh, Awful Green Things from Outer Space, uh, Snit's Revenge, and other illustrations, uh, yeah. gaming industry. With was words that he was still alive, but he disappeared. He was discovered. People contacted like in the late '90s. Uh, you know, were contacting him to try to get him back, and he was he wa he removed himself completely from gaming, art, everything, and he wound up driving a taxi cab for the res basically the rest of his life until recently he uh, he got sick I think he had like a stroke then he got diagnosed with cancer there was this local game store that he visited and uh, he sold like his artwork to the guy who some of his artwork to, to raise some money he also wanted to get his wormy public his wormy collection published which was supposed to be published back in like the late 80s so he was moving forward to that a little bit Again, was he going to become full on back into it, like the retro uh, artists, like you know, like you know, some of the other ones, like uh, like D and Elmore and all these guys doing all the, you know, uh, uh, Jim Holloway, all these people doing all redoing all their art. Maybe, maybe not, but I think that you know he was going to get back. He was stepping into it. He was very cautious. He still had a lot of fear or paranoia, disdain for people, but he wanted. It seemed like he wanted to try to get back into it. It's all I'm, I'm speculating here. But you know, the hope was my hope was that one day he'd come back to us. Maybe he would get these things published. He would see how much he is adored by the community, and he would be welcomed with open arms. And maybe you might be able to get him back. But I think there was a lot more. They, uh, he was a very complex individual, apparently, and there was a lot. I think there's a lot more going on with him that any of us will ever know. You know, yeah. but we'd, uh, just we did. we'd just be speculating as the two. His reasons for walking away completely from his from his talent, from his participation in the uh, industry, and 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 not even using his talent for anything else. I mean, using his artistic talent. I mean, he didn't take that and go to the movie industry, to advertising, to any other any other field. You know, he just left it completely. So it was a loss. I mean, because you can't look at hardly any uh, early. TSR stuff and not see Dave Trampier's artwork. I mean, there was a lot of other artists. There's a lot of other good artists too. You know, don't get me wrong. There's there's a lot of there was a lot of fantastic people who worked for him, but his was a, a very certain style he had, and it was very predominant throughout um, uh, <clears throat> all the early works of TSR. And of course, my favorite thing, which again I've shown you guys this in the past, and I'm looking at it right now, and I look at it every single day, is my Gamma World poster for the first edition cover, which was done by Dave Trampier. And I'm going to try to do a screen share here. Give me a second. Uh, where is it? Screen share. Let's see. Let's see if this uh, does it here. Okay. Yes, now we're going through a time warp here and Wow Come oh. with us now. On a okay. journey. We're looking at your we're looking at your screen. Oh, there it is. That's better. There, there it is. So that that is the iconic Gam World cover. To me, 
that just that is the embodiment of Gamma World. It always has been. You know, I was fascinated by that as a kid growing up, and I can't tell you how many times in my imagination I've been up in these ruins, you know, exploring the ancient civilizations. You know, uh, to me, it just uh, re repre represented all of that. So, and that was done by uh, Dave Trampier and wait for a. Uh, well, infinity and beyond. All right, now we're back. Okay. So that's, um, yeah, so that's something I look at every single day. So anyway, so it's a sad loss. Uh, it's unfortunate for what happened to him and that, that we lost him. Again, there's still a lot of other great artists who, from those early days, have done stuff. But there was just something about his work and something special about his work. And I think probably his disappearance probably added to the mystique of his oh, art yeah. too. Oh, you know? oh, oh yeah, that, that absolutely. You know, knowing that there was this giant wad of talent out there who would not pick up his pen or pick up his brush. And he, you know, he stuck to his guns. Uh, on that, whatever it was that that made him walk away, um, he either didn't get over it or it didn't change. You know what I mean? Whatever problem existed, he did not uh, break down and come crawling back to the industry to uh, you know hat in hand. It was always on his terms and his terms alone. And even if that is, even if that's bad shit crazy, I kind of have to admire the fact that he could stick to his. You know, he stuck to it. You know, he did not. He did not flex on something he felt strongly about. Yeah, so it was a sad day. I was really upset that day. I was I was trying to commiserate with somebody about it, but all fortunately I had was my fiance, and she's not a gamer, so she didn't get it. So <laughs> I'm just like I'm just like let me talk, let me talk. You don't understand, you know. Uh, I I'm sure she did her best impersonation of listening. Yes, I, <laughs> that's how you can tell they love you is when they pretend. To give a crap about the our bullshit. Exactly. So, um, all we can ask for sometimes. Yes. So that's uh, that, that, that's going on with that. Do you have anything to weigh in on on that? Uh, well, well, just that it it was one of those weird moments of of providence because the the day that it came out, the Trampier had had passed away, was the same day that. Uh, that John Kadolf of a Starhawk Fantasy Games came to me and said, "I want you. I want you to do an illustration for this adventure module I'm working on. Uh, it's got an old school feel. I want it to look like old school art, and I want it to be like this." And he showed me the original, uh, the original Mongrel Man illustration. Oh, and just so like the same day, you know, I'm, I'm uh, the the. I find out that, that of his passing is the is the same day I'm I'm brought into this whole old school gaming product. It was just a weird one two punch. Yeah, that that is uh, that's crazy, and it, it also happened during uh, GaryCon as well. That was this was last weekend as well. Yeah, I think that was actually that was the same day that the GaryCon organizers were actually releasing photos. They got because they had a reunion of a, of a lot of the original TSR staff, writers, artists, editors, designers, and they took a tour of the old TSR building. And like there was, they even had this uh, this picture of the room for their art department, and they were still finding like stains on the floor from spilled ink and spilled paint, and you could see the grooves worn into the floor where their their rolling chairs used to be. Wow, <laughs> and like just all all this artistic activity condensed into one one place in the seventies and eighties. 
That's crazy that all that was going on, and then it got announced. It got announced, and then I think, because, uh, again, Tom Wham was there, so there's a connection. He had made some posts saying that he got some weird emails from some nursing home, and then he saw the obituary, and he's like, yep, that's, you know, that's that's it, you know. So so it's sad, So, uh, but we're going to move on before I get all teary-eyed, and I'm, I'm not kidding either. But uh, so... Um, because I said it's very upsetting. Because I, I had hoped and prayed that we would get him back one day. I really did. I was hopeful. I might not have been realistic at all <laughs> about it, but um, I hope that one day. And it started. It's again. It started like there was some small, like little inklings that he might at least stick his head out a little bit, you know. But but we'll never know at this point. So. Yeah. There you go. Uh, so, Dave, folks, David, uh, the tramp, tramp, DAT, uh, rest in peace. We'll miss you. So, there let's you go. Move, let's move on to something less apocalyptic. Yeah, exactly. Let's <clears throat> let's talk. Let's let's move on to something less depressing, and let's talk about the apocalypse. Okay. Yeah. Um, so some <laughs> other, <laughs> so some other in the news thing. Speaking of the apocalypse. Um, I did see uh, it got launched, I guess, in the last couple of days was uh, Goodman Games, uh, with permission by uh, James Ward, are releasing a deluxe edition of uh, Metamorphosis Alpha, the first apocalypse, I believe the first apocalypse role-playing game uh, prior to Gamma World, because the, revi- the rights reverted back to James Ward, uh, I think, in like the last 10 years. Or late, or something like that, like like uh, early 2000s. So they're doing this deluxe edition, oversized of um, Metamorphosis Alpha. It's like a fourteen, like ten by fourteen, and there's like a lot more. Con- I mean, it's only like 120 pages, but there's more because con- if you've ever seen the original book, it's only like it's like that thick. It's really oh, it's thin. yeah, it's thin, super thin. But they beefed up to 128 pages because they're including um, more monsters, all stuff written, a lot of stuff written by James. More monsters, more creatures, uh, our, uh, magazine articles from the Dragon Magazine and uh, Polyhedron, all these other places, ones that were relative to help build the universe. So they've uh, flushed that out a little bit. There's a bunch of add-ons that they're doing with it, like uh, like a new adventure. Uh, then they're doing this bundle of other adventures that they're coming out with. Uh, they're doing like these dice bags. They're doing a poster. They they did like a, this meticulous. Uh, they got this scan of the original cover. And they're doing this 7, 11 by 17 poster print of it. They got it like scanned, enhanced, uh, like retouched, and they, they made like a poster of the original cover. So if you like that kind of that 70s wacky sci-fi stuff, it, it's pretty good. Um, <clears throat> I backed the Kickstarter myself, of course. Um, I'm not sure if I, I want to get the book really bad, but I have a lot of expenses lately, so I don't know if I could do it because it's for a Kickstarter for a book, it's it's a little pricey. I will have to say that. Um, what do you got to What do you got to pony up to get the book? Eighty. Yeah, yeah, it's pricey. I I usually don't expect to pay more than about fifty. Yeah, so um, it's it's a little pricey for, for, for a hardcover. You know, I mean, it might be oversized this way, and then I understand the cost of printing and stuff like that. But eighty seemed a little. It was a little high. Um, I mean, I know they're doing a small print run there. I mean, their straight their goal is thirty thousand hmm. dollars. So I'm thinking. It's costing them a lot to print this stuff, you know, and I don't, I don't know why it's costing them that much to print it, you know, unless it's. Um, it never hurts to have a cushion 
uh, I've had to, you know, I learned that my first Kickstarter. Oh, yeah. if, I, if I got the money I asked for, my Kickstarter would have failed because I simply did not end up, I would not have, uh, I would have blown it on the cost of buying boxes, buying shipping materials, you know, uh, just those, uh, yeah, sure, I, I accounted for the postage, but even that was not accurate, you know. Um, you, you need that, you really do need a, a little bit of uh, wiggle room to make these things work. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. 30000 for a book is, often, is, is, is enough to pay all the artists, all the writers, all the printing and all the shipping. For a, for like a, a pretty decent print run. Uh, well, well, you, well, especially since it's an odd size, it's it's kind of big, you know. So oh that, wow, yeah. And guess what? You're ju you just kicked your shipping costs cost into a cocked hat because you didn't buy a standard size book. Yep. That's going to go in a size shipping containers. Yeah, that really makes a world of difference. And I don't think the customers don't get is that suddenly you're spending, oh my God, two fifty a box or more. Yeah. Uh, to, so I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Part. Of, I'm sure. Like, fifteen to twenty dollars of that is probably the cost of shipping. You know, because it's probably going to come priority mail, and it's going to, you know, the weight and the and the boxes. So I, I you know, I get, I, I, can, I get it. You know, so time and labor. But it's just, if it's just a little sticker price. Now, trust me, I'm gonna want. I'm gonna eventually cave in the last second and wind up buying it. Don't, don't get me wrong. You know. <laughs> um, we, we know your weaknesses, Jared. Yeah. This is one of them. And I'm hoping that I did suggest to them that they also release a, a PDF edition of it as well. That could be maybe like an add-on because that book's it's more of a collector's piece. That big size, it's not good for the day-to-day -day gaming. You really need like a PDF that you can like print out and use as as a rule book. You know, like it's it's, mm -hmm. it's more it's it's a collector's book. It's not really because it, it's all based on the old system. It is not a revamp. It is not a different system. It is the original game. So. And I think that's actually something that I I really like about a lot of these these gaming kickstarters. You know, it, it, in in the olden days, you know, uh, if it, it, once the new edition came out, that was it for the old edition. If you if you had a favorite edition of a game, well, that was it. It was dead, and it was never coming back. And now now with Kickstarter, that's changed. I've seen a lot of a lot of classic editions of games get revived. I, I'm not really 100 percent sure why certain companies don't uh, offer. Uh, PDFs of their products with different edition rules in it. You know? Oh, oh yeah. Just well, showing different conversion guides. Uh, White Wolf did a conversion guide that lets you convert between all the various World of Darknesses that they ever did. Good, because there's always going to be people who think that blank edition sucks. And, you know, whatever that edition is, or that <clears throat> blank edition was always the best edition. Uh, oh, so that oh was, speaking of old school, what, I, what did I just see got launched? Was. Uh, we all we all remember Judges Guild, right? Oh, oh my yeah. God, yeah. Okay, we remember the city state of the Invincible Overlord. Oh jeez. Yeah. That's now a Kickstarter, which has already in eight days raised thirty five thousand dollars. Nostalgia pays. It's the whole it's the whole uh, OSR, the old school role playing that phenomenon that's kind of taken place these last couple of years. You know, a lot of people are. Us old grognards are latching onto it because that's what we know, and a lot of people are getting into it. So, yeah, so that so that launched as well. Uh, something else, a little apocalyptic. Uh, another Kickstarter that started was um, Arc Light, the art of Joe White, our friend oh. who did Twilight X. He's doing an art book uh, for Kickstarter of all his art. You know, like it's not just 
Twilight X and The Last Zombie, but all his other stuff. But that that launched as well, and I just mentioned it because had a lot of post-apocalyptic art in there. So good, good for uh, Joe. I I back that. You know, you could get like he has it's got a pretty good deal. Like the book is like twenty bucks, and it comes with a PDF version. So wow, okay. How do you lose on that? No, it's cool. pretty good. So so that's that one. Uh, Scott had something a movie that he came across, and then we're gonna. Yeah. Twenty minutes later, we're gonna get into our topic. But again, I, I thought the whole Dave, well, I thought the whole Dave Trampier thing was very important to talk about, especially you know he did have involvement with Gamma World and post-apocalyptic stuff. So uh, I, I ran across a friend of mine posted a list of uh, genre movies that aren't remakes or sequels, and two of the films that jumped out was a film from this year called The Rover, uh, which is uh, the the big name on that is Guy Pierce. Uh, there's also an actor named, oh, it's Robert Patterson. It's, what's his name from, uh, it's Robert Patterson from uh, uh, Twilight. Okay. I didn't, I didn't realize that's who that, that was. Um, so, but it's basically, it's set in what appears to be uh, an Australian near-apocalypse dystopia. If it's, it's, it doesn't appear to be quite mad, it doesn't quite appear to be Road Warrior or Mad Max 2, but the world that it's taking place in is like the first Mad Max. Civilization is breaking down, law and order is falling apart, um, and uh, Guy Pierce plays a guy who has, you know, left the cities to camp out in the, left the cities and is out in the, the desolate nowhere in Australia, and he gets robbed of all of his possessions by this gang, and uh, he proceeds to track them down. Uh, and get his stuff back by, you know, Malcolm Xing it by any means necessary. And his primary tool on his mission of dystopic, near-apocalyptic vengeance is Robert Patterson, who was one of the gang members who got wounded and was left behind at the scene of the crime by the gang. And so Pierce has picked him up and is part hostage, part partner in crime. You know, uh, and the two of them are going on this, you know, extended Eastwoodish, you know, Charlie Bronson-style revenge kick in this post-apocalyptic world. There is a, there are previews available online for the film. Uh, they don't tell you much of anything, but if you read the uh, sort of the liner notes on IMDb and then watch the previews, you can see what the preview is showing you. It is showing you a dystopic, near-apocalyptic world where society is breaking down, law and order is breaking down. The other one I would throw out is a film called The Young Ones, uh, which, uh, or called Young Ones. Not related to the BBC series from the 1980s. Exactly. Not The Young Ones, the comedy series. <laughs> so so, so uh, no, Vi no Vivian. No Vivian. Damn. Uh, it's, no Vivian! Uh, it's, <laughs> it's directed by some guy named Jake Paltrow I've never heard of. It is set uh, set in a future, according to IMDb, where water has become the most precious and dwindling resource on the planet. And one day, we'll have to do a fucking show on all the fucking apocalypses where they're running out of water. Uh, hell, only, there's hell. Only the most only the most plentiful resource on the planet, and we're running out of it. Um, set in the near future, where water has become the most precious and dwindling resource on the planet. One that dictates everything from the macro of political policy to the detailed micro of interpersonal family and romantic relationships. The land has wintered into something wretched and dust has settled over a lonely, barren planet. And the hardened survivors 
of the loss of Earth's precious resources, scrape and struggle. Uh, Ian, uh, our main character, lives on a harsh frontier with his children. He defends his farm from bandits, works the supply routes, and hopes to rejuvenate the soil. Uh, but his daughter's boyfriend has grander designs and wants her land for himself and will go to any length to get it. So it's kind of a Western sort of. It's kind of a water, you know, kind of a water rights Western, you know, uh, set in a post-apocalyptic dystopia. So there. So those are two post-apocalyptic films that are on the horizon. The young ones may not have distributorship yet. It's been making the rounds of the film festivals. But uh, we will be seeing The Rover, even if we have to go to the video store to get it. If you have a video store to go to. Yes. Well, <laughs> thank, thank God I live at ground zero for video stores. Yes, you do. All right. So, uh, so, now, so that's a couple of good things. Thank you, Scott. Um, <clears throat> now, it's the apocalypse. The world has ended. What are you going to wear? Apparently, according to a lot of 80s films, it's buttless leather chaps and football shoulder pads, you know? Yeah. And the man well, we to have... Be, to be ahead. fair, all chaps are buttless. Oh, oh. okay. Well, yeah, you have to, you're, you're right. That's a good point. That's a, that's a little redundant. Well, you know, for well for people who don't know, you know, but... Uh, I, yeah, apparently William has more experience with chaps. I'm the chap chaps. Buttless oh. leather chaps. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> the, the chap chap. All right. Speaking of things that chap my hide, um, I would like to point out that the guy who's responsible for every single mohawk, every single set of, you know, shoulder pads or football pads and leather armor uh, and crossbows in the apocalypse, the guy who's responsible for that is, uh, is Graham Grace Walker, who was the art director on Mad Max 2, otherwise known as the Road Warrior. That guy created the look of the film, and he did such a good job. For about a decade, he changed the genre. You know, every bad Filipino, you know, post-apocalyptic ripoff, every Escape from the Bronx, all those crap European ripoffs, Metal Storm, the destruction, the destruction of, Jared. of Jared Sin. Yeah, every single one of them looked like Mad Max ripoffs. They're just distilled down from Mad Max, you know, uh, from oh, Mad Max Two. What was it? Was it Bronx? Yeah, it was like Bronx Warrior in like or Battle for something twenty twelve. Like the all Battle these. For, yeah, Battle for New York and like Bronx Warriors. Yeah, it's Chainsaw Gladiators. All these films. And if they don't, and if they don't actually have that stuff in the movie, it sure as shits on the cover box. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. You know that was the thing that always got me is where they you'd crack this thing open and there, you know, there uh, there's one called like Tech, te Texas Gladiators, Texas Chainsaw Gladiators. Oh, Texas! Oh, yeah, 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 Texas Glad. I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And the cover is like a guy in the football pads with a cowboy hat and a mohawk and a chainsaw, you know, and some buttless chaps or chaps, as William calls them, and that, <laughs> and you open it up, and the only thing I remember is, like, it's just Sid Haig in, like, a plaid shirt, you know, <laughs> there's just, like, Sid Haig being a, a, you know, a marauder in old Western gear, you know, like what you'd see in the Southwest today, except with a little more, like, red dirt on it or something, you know, uh, but yeah, it, it became 
the standard for every single post-apocalyptic goddamn you know scenario was thanks to Graham Walker. Thanks, Graham. Um, now that being said, with that movie, I think the people who actually had the practical clothing in that movie were the people with the gas with the gas um, uh, gas mask. The, no, the gas. Um, Processing plant. Yeah, they were fine. They're wearing billowing clothing, you know, white clothing, stuff that you actually would want to wear in the fucking desert because <laughs> you want to reflect the heat and you want you want to have that volume of uh, to have the air in between to keep yourself cool. Yeah, you know, actually, that's something I, I wanted to, to point out because, like, you know, you, in, in, especially in those movies, you have everybody out in the sun all the damn time. I don't know why raiders insist on doing their raiding in broad daylight. But like you know, your Mohawk warriors. The, audi your... the audience can't see it at night. <laughs> That's why they're attacking in the night. In the day is because the audience can't see it. Well, no, just dirt. when you film the fight scene, set off some explosives, get some fires going, and that takes care of it. Makes it more exciting. You know, but... it worked. It worked in Thirteenth Warrior. Oh yeah. Yeah, bad guys always showed up at night in that movie. I had to appreciate that. But during all those, you know, people have all sorts of like patches of skin exposed. They're out. They're out in the desert. There's there's no one making sunscreen anymore, and and, and yet you never see anybody with weird, freaky tan lines. You never see the tan lines for like the armor straps, which are the only or, things that or, they're wearing. Or my favorite, there's nothing more cooling than one of those motorcycle cop helmets with a leather face mask over this part. You know, that seemed that looked like it breathes really well. That that that's. That oh, was, and everybody, everybody's in leather and black, and should, you, know. you should wear that to the beach. You should wear the fucking motorcycle cop helmet to the fucking beach. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, so anyway, folks. So yeah. So uh, the things that they created for the fan are totally, mostly, totally impractical. I mean, sometimes you'd see some, you know. I mean, even if you get, you know. The only thing that really made sense was, like, again, in Mad Max 3, he was in all these billowing clothes and stuff like that. So, again, again in the desert makes sense. Um, Long-term clothes choices, like leather is a good choice. You know, leather pants. Because, you know, you never, you know, find them going to, like, the motorcycle shops to get the leather pants. Because, you know what? Your jeans are going to wear out. Your shirts are going to wear out. There's going to be moths. There's going to be this and that. It's going to wear out. You're going to have to start sewing and patching. And, you know, either you're either going to start looking like Raggedy Ann you know, in a few years, because it's not like, well, I'm going to get my clothes dry clean, then we're going to take care of them. It's like, no, this is it. This is your clothes. Well, we, we have sort of had the idea that the, whatever apocalypse we're talking about, there's a massive population reduction. So unless it's the kind of apocalypse that destroys whole cities like a nuclear apocalypse, there's going to be piles and piles and piles of product that are not being used. But just sitting there in the environment, it's going to degrade. It's going to rot. Moths. Yeah. Um, Water is going to leak in through the roof, and is going to mold. Is going to destroy the fabric. Oh yeah, there's going to be fires in the cities because well, there's going to be fires in the cities. We made this mistake of building our civilization out of things that burn. So there's going to be fires, and there's not, and and so that all that supply is going to run out very quickly. Just sitting there. In empty buildings, I'd say it's going to be dead in less than five years. Well, also, of course, unless the apocalypse is the Gamerald apo apocalypse of the um, the Yixil, the Y E X I L, the flying lion creature that eats oh, clothes. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> which is another Dave illustration. Thank you for bringing it back around. 
Yeah, so if it's that kind of apocalypse, nobody's got clothes because they're eating it all. Oh my god. I'm well, I'm thinking so, like, wow. you, know, you, you, think, you think moths are bad now, wait until they're two feet long and radioactive. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, like in uh, like the like the giant scorpions in uh, Damnation Alley, you know. Exactly. Exactly. That's the last thing I need is the fucking Cazadors and Fallout eating my goddamn clothes too. That's <laughs> god damn it. Um, Actually, I'm glad you mentioned Fallout because that was something I wanted to talk about. Uh, I want to come out in favor of the jumpsuit. Uh, <laughs> it is simple. It's practical. It's got lots of pockets where you can hold all sorts of supplies. Compass, rations, uh, rope, what have you. And then you have to take a shit. Well, yeah, you do have to plan for that. <laughs> There's that point where your entire clothing, all your gear and pockets are, are, are stuck around your ankles. That sounds like a great a great position to get caught in in the post-apocalyptic world. Unless, unless it has a trap door, you know. That, that's going to be next for fucking Bethesda. They're going to make me stop and take a crap. <laughs> well, I mean... They already had the thing where my clothing wears out in the game. My weapons wear out in the game. Uh, I have to eat, you know, so I have to burn food. I have to I have to drink water, and I have to sleep during the game or I'll die. Well, the next... they'll, have, they'll have, like, a brown meter and a yellow meter to track oh. bodily f fluids. Yeah, they're already radiationing me and starving stop, me and everything. Stop, stop talking, Will. But, yeah. Uh... <laughs> If they hear us, yeah. You have to take a crap, and if you're taking a crap someplace, you know, that you can be attacked, oh, that's just great. Finally, there's something to do with the toilets and fall out besides drink out of them. And get radiation, no? <laughs> no, now, you really, now you really don't want to drink out of them. Oh, my God. All right, so... Um, so, so in the Fallout universe, you you have to start pooping, you're in the middle of the desert, you got to drop your britches, and here comes a giant albino scorpion... <laughs> I want to point out that the clothing in, in Fallout, one of the things that I, I really liked about it is, except for the armors, you know, they, they really made some effort to make a lot of clothing that looked like it had been built after the apocalypse. You would sometimes find dingy clothes left over from before the apocalypse. It would be kind of weirdly stained and kind of nasty. Uh, but you'd also have a lot of stuff that was just leathers, buckskins, uh, stuff that was, you know... Uh, clearly crafted out of bits and pieces of old clothing, like they had taken clothing off the rack. And there's one particular piece of armor that looks like it's made out of bits of a business suit. I remember it's the Merc Charmer. There you go. That's how much I've played Fallout. Oops, I'm embarrassed now. I can remember the names of the armor. But they did a pretty good job showing outfits that looked like they were stitched together after the bomb from old stuff. And I, you know, it was a nice... It was a nice uh, visual touch to the game. Um, I'm trying to think of like other, you know, other other stories like where we've gotten clothing, and I think of, um, you know, Boy and His Dog uh, was the kind of thing where they didn't have that Mad Max look. They had clothing that looked like different pieces of clothing had been sewn together. Well, it was it was pre Mad Max. Yeah, so it was different pieces of clothing. Same thing with uh, the Ravagers, you know. The clothing in the Ravagers looked like either uh, clothing that had been scavenged and and turned, you know, made into new outfits from old, or it was mixed in with rougher-looking clothing that had clearly been made after the the apocalypse. I think of like um, and, and certainly Ultimate Warrior. They look very medieval, like tunics and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yes. The clothing in Ultimate Warrior was one where they absolutely didn't look like they had anything. 
from before the before the fall. We know that's like another thing because you know you've you've got you've got clothing, but you know how how many people that survive are going to know how to sew? Mm. So you oh. you may end up getting very very basic clothing coming back simply because the tunic is it's fast to make, but it also doesn't require much skill, and the sewing machines aren't necessarily going to work. Uh, no. And not many people are going to be able to sit still long enough to do that when there's raiders that they got to worry about. <laughs> or I mean, you, you 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 might raid like antique stores, or you might go to like you know uh, the. There's a uh, there's a crafts industry of, of looms. I have a friend, shout out to Coral Mallow, who looms and makes cloth all the time. Makes these, and she's learning all the time how to do this stuff. So you can, these looms are not that big, um, well, but that's not. Yeah, they're they're hand powered looms where they're just you know doing the. The whole nine yards to make it go, um, but those are make, but those are making bigger pieces of clothes, not the finer fabric that like you'd make a shirt out of. Which you'd uh... she can make a bolt of cloth though. She keeps working at it. She can make a bolt of cloth, and then that bolt of cloth can be cut up and sewn into actual clothing. Now the trick is, and that that's good, but the problem is getting the material to put on the loom. Yeah, get your cotton, get your wool, get your whatever. You got to get those materials, you know. And then sewing machines. There's a lot of I. We used to. My grandmother at my grandmother's house. She used to have a manual. Uh, it was part of a manual sewing machine. Like the sewing machine was gone, but it was the base that had this big, like, foot pedal thing that you like you push down. Yeah, yeah, turn, yeah. And it turned the flywheel, and it went up, and it turned like the manual sew, like you, choom, 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 and it turned, and you could sew with it. You know, you might be able to find those in antique stores, or go to the uh, the Amish. You might find stuff like that there. But again, that's gonna be scarce. You'd have to establish that in a community. You can't just travel, you know, bring that around with you. You know, that's those dirty Amish again. You know, they're making their own fucking clothing. Oh yeah, you know, well, they're they're, they're blocking their own damn hats. Uh, out of cheese. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have to go out there and huddle up close to them, you know. Exactly. So, like, you know, the clothing and like, um, so that's what you know. So you're gonna have like remnants of clothes, you know. Especially, I mean, I'm, the immediate uh, afterwards is like, yeah, you're gonna have regular clothes. You're gonna wear what you, what you can find. You know, everybody's like, oh, I have uniforms, I have this, that. You're gonna wear, you know, you're gonna wear what you can find, or you're gonna wear it. It's gonna get dirty. You're gonna wear the same shit all the time. But you know, as years go on, like, so you got to make your clothes. Um, you know, you're gonna have to learn skills again. If you could learn it, crocheting, that's if you have anybody who knows how to do these things, or you could find the manuals to do them with. Because uh, you're gonna have to start making it, or people who could make it out of like leather, out of like tanning and buckskin and things like that, like or hunting animals, like in um, what's the movie? Um, Fight Club. Which is kind of a pre-apocalyptic movie, by the way, because he's trying to bring on an apocalypse, and he's talking about New York City being overrun by nature again, and you're the fire under the buildings, and you're making the clothes that you're going to wear for the rest of your life, you know, and that's eventually going to get to the point where it's like, okay, well, we have hunting, and we have animals, and we're making buckskins, and we're making the, the leather. Idea that, the idea that you throw away the skin. On an animal that you shot and killed, and it's just going to lay there and rot. That's a gigantic failure in the post-apocalyptic world. Oh you, yeah, well, well we do that now, but in the, when it comes down to it, it's like, what can we do with this? Is yeah, going to be the change. The answer is, once it's the apocalypse, is that every part of that animal is a potential tool, a potential uh, weapon, uh, a potential uh, artifact, a piece of clothing, 
glue. Yeah, it goes on and on and on and on and on and on. Well, the it's also. It's also, you know, you're not just going to be working with the obvious, like, fabrics, like wool from a sheep or, or leather taken from a deer's hide. You know, if, if you've had to put down a pack of a pack of cray stray dogs, well, that's yeah. a supply of leather right there. Uh, you know, I, I think, think of the prestige, you know, if you, you come wait, riding back into the settlement with, like, a dog, like a feral dog pelt draped over you, Poodle. that shows that you're not a man to be messed with. A Shih Tzu, like a little tiny toy dog. As you're, like you know, he's coming right at me. So uh, well, you know, there there are going to be like eventually, like notions of high fashion are going to come back. So you know, there's going to be like a settlement, some some big wig at a settlement who's going to want like a coat made from the pelts of of rare breeds of dogs that just don't exist anymore to show how prestigious they are. First thing I think of William, when you're saying that is that scene in Conan the Barbarian, the very first one, where he, where Schwarzenegger emerges from the Atlantean tomb with the new sword and he strikes the uh, the shackle off his leg and all the do- all the wild dogs that chased him are there. The next scene, he's wearing all their pelts. Yep. <laughs> you don't see the transition, but scene two when he finds I think the Wolf Witch or or, or yeah or, yeah is he's wearing all the wolf pelts. Well, Come on yourself by my fire, but yeah. uh, <laughs> and I'm just like that was a great transition for me. Where I, they didn't have to show me any more than that to know that oh yeah, that's our boy, that's our protagonist. Well, yeah, well when you when you brought up poodles and stuff like that, uh, this brings me back to what we talked about last week was uh, life after people. There was a whole episode where they talked about domesticated animals, how all the small breeds. Are probably going to die out because with the lack, you know, getting trapped in houses and being hunted down and killed by other larger dogs, those are the ones who are going to survive. You know, little yippy, bit, 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 bit dogs—they're probably not going to make it. You not know? to mention if they're if they're going to get bred with, and there's yeah. not going to be controlling the bloodlines, and the dogs are going to get bigger. They're just going to get bigger. They're going to they're going to even out to some sort of medium-sized dog so that. With any luck, they won't all grow up to be those frickin', what are they, Himalayan lion dogs or something that are the size of a Buick? Oh, my God. I do not want to see one of those things coming at me post-apocalypse. They got they got enough hair on them. It looks like it'd slow down a 5.56 five, round. You'd need something bigger. Well, but, but think of all the clothes you could get out of it, though. Yes, yes. I'll be thinking about that while it's passing me through its recta. <laughs> like, well, this this is good here, but uh, yeah, it's warm and cozy inside this dog. Yeah, fucking monsters. Well, Will had mentioned something also uh, uh, pre-show. We were talking about is uh, we we talk about you know people talk about raiding and looting and find their survival stuff. And Will mentioned one of the things that uh, people never mention. They they talk about I'm getting guns and I'm getting booze and I'm getting you know dinky dog dog food. You know. Well, what was it? What, uh, uh, Will mentioned, uh, uh, please elaborate, Will, is, uh, what do you say, craft stores? Uh, craft stores and fabric stores. Because you know, right there you have one location where you're just going to have aisle after aisle of, of unused fabric, which is what you're going to need to you know to clothe you and everyone else in your tribe uh, for, yeah. for quite some time. And it's not just the obvious things like comfortable fabrics to wear. There are fabrics there to make blankets. There are fabrics there you can use to make shelter. You know, you can get they, – they, there's most fabric stores have like these like watertight 
pleathers and watertight uh, fake leathers, which yeah. you know that'll that'll keep the rain off of you, whether it's a raincoat or whether you fashion that into a tent. And that's just the raw materials. That's you know you've also got needle and thread. You've got sewing machines that they sell there, which while you may not be able to get the electricity to run those sewing machines, you can dismantle them, and they're full of machine parts you might be able to use to maintain some other technology. I would like to point out that. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a little hard pressed the post apocalypse to loot a, a replacement size 15 boot. Yeah, you're, okay? you're, you're, you're I'm, fucked. I'm screwed. I will kill a man for his shoes. Apocalypse. <laughs> you're, the problem you're, is the problem is he's gonna be a big son of a bitch. So yeah, right, here, here's your thing, Scott. The skills that you need to start learning now are how to be a cobbler. Yeah. You're, gonna, you're gonna need to make yourself some moccasins or something. You're that's about it, dude. You're yeah. I mean uh, footwear is important because you can imagine like it's it's I mean you know what stuff your shoes protect you from now. Yes. Imagine what stuff you're gonna need shoes to protect you from after everything collapses. Well it's okay if I step on the nail, I'll just run down and get my tetanus oh no I won't. Yeah. And then I get lockjaw and they're having to feed me through a hole they cut in my cheek. If you're lucky. If we yeah. just don't, if we just don't leave you behind, like you know what, you're a liability now, Scott. We're gonna have to leave you, and we're gonna take your clothes. Uh, Jared, you never tell them that. What are you stupid? You never tell them that. You no, man, it's cool. We're gonna stand by you. Well, why don't you take a nap? Bang. Scott, <laughs> Scott, look at the flowers. <laughs> wow, what am I, Lenny now from Mice and Men? You know, Wait a minute, they were rabbits. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> look at the flowers, Scott. Just look at the flowers. <laughs> can you see the rabbits, Lenny? Can you see the rabbits? I can see the rabbits. <laughs> All right, fine. I'll be the. I'm perfectly happy to be the idiot man-child of the group. Um, sadly, sadly, I, I, I fail to have uh, uh, Lenny's skill as a human fucking uh, carjack, where it's like. Well, Lenny, we need to have this open or lifted or punched through. You know, I can. You always need to never, never, never underestimate the benefits of having an idiot manchild in your group. But um, uh, <laughs> anyways, just you throw need some plaster to your master. Yes, you need some. Just throw some bib overalls on him, and he's good to go. You know. But uh, but yeah, footwear is important. Again, not just clothes, but footwear is important. Holy shit! Yeah. There, I still have the magazine. I probably should have pulled it out. Um. I still have my copies of American Survival God that I read back in like the early '80s, you know, because I'm crazy like that. I was reading those on the bus, you know, you know back then. And um, there was one whole uh, there was a magazine that had an article on picking your perfect survival boot, you know, like because you know because they're like, there's no more stores, there's no repairing, you know. It's like you got to get something that's going to last, and like it's, it tells you like. The kind of eyelets to have, the kind of welt to have, the kind of material to get it made out of. Fucking shoelaces. Yeah, because they're like these are these are probably the last pair of boots you're ever gonna buy. You know, so you need them to last. So they were talking about Vibram soles on boots back in like '83. You know, so to this day I've always you know like yep, I get Vibram at last and the type of construction because yeah, once these sneakers and boots and shoes wear out, you know it's gonna be like you know putting in pieces of newspaper and the holes in the bottom of it and eventually. I mean, mind you, we're probably you're, you're going to be able to find stuff for probably decades, you know, because it's like, you know, if a population something, some leather goods, some of these harder things that are harder to rot. Yes, yeah. but a lot of clothing is just going to disintegrate on the shelf. Oh yeah, clothing yeah. itself, but things like shoes, like because they're leather, you know, 
with a with a reduced population because it's an apocalypse. So there's going to be a reduced population. You're going to find boots and shoes and stuff for quite some time. You know, again, trying to you know, it's not like you're like, oh my God, they only have four pairs of size 15. Well, guess what? You're the only a hole in the within a 50 mile, 100 mile radius that needs a pair. Of those, you know. <laughs> So let's, um, let's hope that's not the deciding factor on the plague. Like, if you got a big feet, you survive. Because then there's going to be me and a bunch of other guys fighting over the last pair of fucking clogs <laughs> on the goddamn planet. Holy shit! So you know, so footwear is important too. Again, so I think those will be. I mean, they'll. I mean, because I mean, we, I mean, but real, but realistically, like normal wear and tear. You know, you got to kind of get. You know, like uh, you know, you got to get a new pair of shoes, like sneakers. Like I wear, I wear like I get like one pair of shoes. I wear them till they're dead. You know, and usually that's less than a year. That's usually about eight months, and it's like I gotta get a new pair of shoes because my feet are killing me. So these things wear out, you know. So in the apocalypse, when you have you know anything else, you know, and sneakers aren't the best, you know, boots are probably good. But again, it's gonna get to the point where you know maybe down the road when these things are more scarce, it's gonna be, well, the soles are still here, but the rest of it's rotted. Maybe we can make some kind of sandals out of them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um. Do you, in fact, I was just going on that. Does anybody here? Everyone here has heard the, the the expression tire sandal, right? Yep. Yes. Um, it was often used, I often hear it used describing what the Viet Cong are wearing. They're wearing tire sandals. And I'm like, all right, are you talking about a tire, a sandal where the sole was cut out of an old tire? Is that what we're talking about with tire sandal? Or am I just completely off base? I, I think you're right, because I was actually going to break that up, and I wish I could I wish I could name all the places I've seen this, but I've seen in a couple of different post-apocalyptic things where characters will wear a sandal where they've taken an old tire, cut a vague outline of a foot off of it, and then just, you know, added some bungee straps so that it fits on your foot like a flip-flop, and then you, bam, you've got a hard-wearing sandal that's good for the road. Yeah, okay, here we go. The Dep Lop. Or tire sandal, uh, which just means ru tire rubber sandal in Vietnamese is a form of sandal in Vietnam made from recycled tires, um, and it was iconically Ho Chi Minh, you know, and his boys were wearing that with that, uh, you know, Comron scarf. So yeah, it's if if Charlie can do it, goddamn it, we're gonna have to do it, or we're gonna go the way of the dodo because we stepped. We stepped, you know, on a rusty nail. Well, yeah, I just, uh, I just saw, I just did a Google search, and I found like a ton of pictures of tire sandals. Just make sure they're not steel, still belted radials, because you get little wires coming up in your. Uh, oh, that's not good. So, so apparently, you know, footwear can be a problem in the apocalypse as well. Again, how are you going to make them afterwards? But uh, you know, you know, hats, you know, things like that. So, you know, again. I think again. I think in the immediate future, clothing's not going to be much of an issue because you're going to be able to find stuff everywhere. But again, over time, you're going to have to learn these skills. Like Will says, what about? But then again, if, when it gets to the point where you have to start rating, you know, the Michaels or the Joanne fabrics, um, or, or the uh, the Hobby Lobbies or whatever, you know, whatever it is uh, that are left. You know what? How many years down the road is that, and how viable is the material that's still there? Is that rotted away at this point? Because that's, that's why. You, that's why. you do your rating early. Rate yeah, early. You want to get that stuff quick. Rate yeah, early. Yeah. Rate often because it's like that. It's like that idiot on the survivors who was going around trading for gold. You know, yeah. um, uh, I was like, yes, get get all that gold, dude. But um, and he was trading some things that were worthwhile. But and talking about how he's storing all of his stuff in a castle that he had. Man, oh, yeah. 
what he need the idea of storing up bolts of fabric and things that are going to be needed two years, three years in the future. Yeah, now you're making a killing in that post-apocalypse, the apocalyptic economy. Yeah. Well, the thing is, you know what happens when you get a bunch of gold stored in a castle. Conan comes and takes it. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> one brute with a sword, and all your fortunes are gone. Yep. And you're and you're right because people are going to be going raiding, you know, the Targets, the WalMarts, and stuff for their clothes. Nobody's going to be you're right. I don't think anybody's really going to be unless they're thinking the craft stores to get the materials to, to do you know to do it yourself stuff. So that's a very it's a very that was a very valid point that uh, you had brought up, Will. You know. That's and those are just things that are obviously used for clothes. You know, if uh, you know, you can get thick plastic sheeting and duct tape, and you can turn that into a into a pretty nice parka, which is gonna you know be good out there on the wasteland. Oh yeah, par yeah, you know, parka. Even that's like a poncho because you can be you can protect you from the rain. You can make a shelter out of it. You know, I, I steal I, sheets from a hotel. Yeah. Well, there's, there's an actual nice pile of uh, of fabric. For making clothes out of is hit a hotel and hit their uh, hit the laundry department down there and gather up all the bedding and you know start cutting that stuff up into into fabrics or ca canvas from like canvas sheets maybe like the home uh, like the Home Depot type stores you know like canvas uh, covers and stuff like that you can you can make stuff out of that or um, yeah because like ponchos like. I have I still have this poncho on the shelf that I've used from time to time when it's raining bad. I had like back in the '80s. There was a point where like there was one time when I was I had to work on one of my cars. You know when I had older cars. Well, I say that now when I had old cars, not not realizing that yeah you know what Jared the Saturn that you bought 14 years ago is now an old car. It was new <laughs> when, it was it was new when you bought it, but now it's like wait it's not new anymore. It's 14 years old, but when I had cars that were 20 plus years old, when I was working on cars, one time it was raining and I had to fix something and I pulled out the poncho, I had the door open and I laid the poncho out over the top of the car and the door to keep the fucking rain off me while I was working on the car, you know? The, uh, the, 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 the thing about clothing is, and I think people are forgetting in the apocalypse, is that it's a survival tool. It's a survival tool as vital as your food, as your weapon, you know, particularly depending on the environment. Oh, you need something to keep the UV rays off because, you know, the nukes blew a hole in the ozone layer or whatever, and everyone's getting skin cancer, or you just don't want to freeze to death in the nuclear winter, or you just want to live in Wisconsin. You know, uh, if, if clothing is what's going to make you not be dead. You yeah, know? Protect, protects you from the cold, the heat, uh, bugs, insects. You know, say you're living in the tropic zone, like I do. Lots of insects. You know, you need fabric just to like make. You know, especially when you're when you're don't have uh, you know the barriers of climate control anymore. You have to have windows up, and you got to keep you protect yourself from bugs or pesticides. And, yeah, pesticide. You know, yet so you need these like thin fabrics to make you know little tents and little sanctuaries to you know protect yourself. You know, like mosquito nets and things like that. And, and that's to say nothing of just outright armor, something that can turn away a blow long enough for you to get the upper hand in a, in a physical struggle. Whether whether that armor is just like you're wearing two, a jacket on top of another jacket or whether you've cut up a tire and have bits of, t of tire strapped to you. Thank you, Fallout, because that's what was one of my favorite fucking, you know, Raider armors. The guy's got half a tire attached yeah. to him. Like, oh, and then, of course, there's also old uh, sporting equipment, like uh, the, the football padding. Yeah, we, which we, so we've come full circle. Yes. Yeah, so 
the hockey gear, the football padding, of course that's going to turn up. But uh, I think you're probably better off going to the motorcycle store and picking up the, the motorcycle helmet. Oh, yeah, Le the leather jackets. And, like, they even have, like... Uh, full, like jumps, full jumpsuits. Jumpsuits. They have these things that are just, like, uh, like chest and back plates to protect yourself for if you if you get skid if you skid on the road or something like that. So, um, yeah, because armor might be. But again, a lot of it depends on where where you're at. Because like we said before, these apocalypses that happen outside of America, it's like yeah, you know what? It's not like America, America, where there's you know like nine guns for every ten Americans. You know, um, you know because I, I think I think you're underestimating that number. Well, that's that's the statistics I saw. Well, it depends, okay. you know. You got people who got more, and you have people who have none. You have people who don't touch the stuff, you know. Yeah. But but I know between the three of us on this call, uh, there is enough firearms to to, to really over over uh, you know equip all of us. Most most people when they can afford it, it seems like they have to buy more than they can carry. Uh, I have just I have just barely bought enough guns so I can carry the ones that I own. Anything more. And it's getting stupid. Well, I'm talking about in your house because I know there's uh, somebody else who has. All right, yes, I have roommates who are collectors who, but um, and I will I, and I will give it up for him simply because uh, he's a collector of antiques. So the idea of shooting marauders with a gun from two centuries ago just tickles me in a special kind of way. <laughs> they, if they show up with their fucking M4 carbine with the you know optical scope and the ceramic, plastic, you know, stock, and John shoots them with a lever-action Winchester 76. Bang! It's Stetsy. That's, that's funny to me. <laughs> that's just funny. It is. It is funny. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. I'm like that, too. I have I have two things. I have a sidearm and a longarm. That's it. I got just enough for cover, cover short, cover long. That's all I got, you know. Yeah, it's, um, it's just not just as a matter of a Ford. It's a matter of really... <laughs> really, really going to have that many guns. But that's a good point. Clothing is something else that we have. God knows I have more outfits than guns, uh, and I have more shoes than, you know, that. And But and we all have started out with every house is a repository of clothing um, with stuff that, you know, hell, people hold on to things that don't fit anymore, you know, and it's all stacked up in the closets and basements and attics and all. So that resource is going to last for a bit, um, because but but eventually, you know, it you will, know what just it will, what it just occurred to me there is going to be a lot of that's going to be well preserved because they're so often kept in those special plastic containers. I know uh, what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. Everyone's old wedding dress. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be an overabundance of preserved wedding dresses. I I want, I, I want a movie. Based on that premise, that all the clothing's destroyed and all they have left is they're coming across these well-preserved wedding dresses. So everybody's wearing fucking wedding dresses in the apocalypse. I'll I get want on to it. see this. Although remember, there was that that one realm in Zardoz. Oh, where everyone's all dressed in the weird. Where everyone has the ball gowns. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For yeah. some reason. Let's just hope we all don't end up in in leather boots and banana hammocks like fucking Sean Connery. <laughs> Holy shit. Um, of course, the thing about Sean Connery is, even naked, he's never really naked. You know, it's he's like, a rookie. It's like it's yeah, it's like it's like Doctor Zayas at the beach. It just <laughs> he's Sean's never really that naked, no matter what. Um, 
but uh, but like you said, armor. Because again, I brought the point of, of firearms because again, in this country, for again for a bit, there's going to be a lot of ammo. There's going to be a lot of shooting, a lot of killing until ammo run lows and people could do reloads. Um, and but other parts of the, other parts of the world don't have you know the abundance of firearms. So yeah, you know, armor's not unless you're getting something that's unless you got some kind of you know bulletproof vest. You've raided some, you know, like police stations, things like that, to get that kind of bullet protection. The armor's not going to really do. You're, you're going to be better off with riot gear because yeah. there's going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of melee and knives and. Well, eventually, well, well, we'd think that. I mean, but I think at first it's uh, uh, not going to be. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be like the Wild West. But uh, but it will thin out after time, where it, it might become like. Uh, uh, sorry, my nose is. I got such a bad sinus problem. Um, it's I'm imagining a, a bell curve where it starts off as, you know, gonna palooza with everybody yeah. shooting each other over a pair of sneakers, and then the gun, the ammo supply runs out and it's all down to stabbing each other, and then things get organized and somebody's finally producing ammo as a trade good, and then suddenly we're back to shooting each other again. With flintlocks and, you know, uh, black powder. But, uh, you yeah. know, I, I was, I was going to go the route of... Uh, the Pierce Anthony uh, trilogy of books, uh, Battle Circle. Hmm. Ooh, tell us about this, sir. I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, Battle Circle. Um, it was three books. Um, I only read it as uh, as one book, but it was uh, it was three stories. Let me look it up here. Um, Battle Circle, Pierce Anthony, is a trilogy of three books called... Sauce the rope, var the stick, and neg the sword. It was this kind of uh, nomadic society in the apocalypse where they have these uh, hostels where there's food and shelter, and there's this little battle circle, and everybody has some kind of melee weapon, like some kind of specialty, and you could go there and you could challenge somebody and fight them, like they'd say, like I claim this hostel for the night, and somebody could challenge you and, and take it from you. Um, so there's this uh, there's this tradition of everybody fighting with these primitive weapons, and the story eventually gets to be this whole thing of this guy who rises up, and they eventually find out there's this. Yeah, you know, I want to spoil. I don't really spoil too much, but there's more than just this primitive society of this nomadic battles going on in, in the background. But it kind of reminded just made me think about that about people just battling with knives and sticks. You know, it's kind of like Pierce Anthony's Battle Circle, uh, like that society develops of people just you know fighting one on one. We know another thing about uh, about conflicts, and this ties back into fashion, is knowing who's on whose side. You know, if you have if you have competing warlords, uh, eventually people are going to come up with heraldry or different things to adorn their bodies with, so that you can tell you know who's fighting for what warlord. Whether it's just a colored armband tied to the arm, or whether you know. Bloods. Yeah, like or the, you know, or the pe the people who fight for 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 Tyrog all wear a blue do rag with an with like a, a stylized T on it, but the people who fight for Jameson the Liberator, they all have to wear a blue shirt with like a red stripe or, or whatever. Well, you know, I'm going to throw out that the modern iteration of this, the two you know areas I think of is the Russian Civil War and the Chinese Civil War at the first part of this last century, and armbands were it when. You know, when warlord armies, Kuomintang armies, uh, you know, were fighting uh, in the 20s in China, uh, it was just a matter of armbands. Um, the Soviet Civil War, uh, it was a combination of two things. Um, there were armbands, 
But the big way you told the uh, whites from the reds was the whites had shoulder boards on their, or epaulets for on their uniforms. The Russians tore those off as sort of a sign of the Soviets, I should say. The communists, Bolsheviks, tore those off as a sign that no more stratification of our new Bolshevik society. And then eventually they realized it was a little hard for the officers to give orders when everybody's wearing the same uniform. So they started putting the, the rank insignia on the lower part of the sleeve on Bolshevik Soviet uniforms. So it was just a, you know, that, that was their differentiation because they're all wearing Russian military uniforms. They've been slightly altered to demonstrate what side you're on in the conflict. But armbands is the, is the, is the one that always seems the easiest. In fact, we're still seeing that shit in like the Yugoslav Civil War, uh, you know, the green armbands were used by uh, Islamic fighters in, in uh, Bosnia Herzegovina. Um, you know, it, that seems like a really easy way to go as, a, as an armband for telling times, particularly because you know, post-apocalypse, everybody's going to have the gear from the military of that country, right? Everyone's going to have whatever their standard kit was. How do you tell? How do you tell who's on whose side? You're not going to have the resources to dye the uniform a new color. And why would you? It's camouflage. You want it to be camouflage. Oh yeah, no, yeah, that that was a great point you brought up, Will. Because when you, if it eventually gets to the point where you have two armies of you know patchwork, you know patchwork raggedy and dolls fighting each other, how do you tell who's who? You're right. They're going to have to be able to distinguish each other somehow. So that was that was a very valid point. Again, all these things. Stem off clothing and fashion. So, in small gangs like you saw in movies like The Road, everybody's gonna know each other. So there's no, you know, there's no, there's no the idea of getting confused is, is is limited. But once you start developing a, a society where you know, uh, and that's something that I just remembered. That I don't remember that they did in um, uh, Jericho. There's that one point in Jericho. Where they have one town versus the other. Do you remember that storyline? No. Uh, there was a bit where they had a group of mercenaries show up at the town of Jericho and say, "Hi, we're from the government. I mean, I know we're not the government, but the government has hired us, and so we're here to redistribute, you know, medical supplies and food. So we're going to be taking all your shit and redistributing it, and we promise it's not just to ourselves." And they told, you know, they, they ran the mercenaries all said, fuck off, shot a few of them, and they left. Well, they went down the road to the next town, and just, rather than drive up and talk, they went in shooting. And shot the town to pieces. And from there on out, that other town had it in for Jericho, because it was all their fault. But their town got, you know, ravaged and torn up. And so, they eventually, they find out that the other town is like, you know, repurposed the local factory to make mortar rounds for primitive mortars because they're gonna they're planning to come over, strip Jericho, and redistribute all the farmland uh, to their farmers. And they have a big battle at the climax of the last episode of second of first season. And everybody's in their civilian gear, right? Everyone's just wearing, you know, army surplus, warm jackets, jeans and whatnot. And I thought, well shit, this brawl is gonna get really confused really fast. <laughs> Because we're not talking about 20, 30 guys. We're talking about several hundreds of guys fighting over these two towns. And they never really uh, they never really developed that in Jericho. They never really developed that. Uh, I can't remember the town's name, but um, 
uh, they have a special flag or they have a special color. You know, that never came up. Hmm. Interesting. But, yeah, no, that was a good point, Will. But, um, all right, well, we're a little bit past the time of the hour, which is fine. And, uh, Scott, you're losing your connection rapidly. So. Um, all right, let's get out of here before I fall off the Internet. Yeah, like you're uh, you're really getting choppy. But uh, so anyway, so that was fashion apocalypse. You know, again, not really fashion, but clothing, armor, uh, you know, footwear. How are you gonna get it? Why are you gonna get it? Uh, her- her- heraldry, as uh, William brought up again, something else that will be very important. So uh, we talked about all that, and um, again, and also clothing is not again just something to make you look pretty. It's 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 a survival tool. You got to protect yourself. So um, again, in the apocalypse, people put, don't put much emphasis on you know clothing or how to get your clothing, but it's just as important as it's a survival tool. Not not quite, but almost as important as food and water. You know, because you 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 can do do multiple things with it. So. Um, so that's it for me uh, or us. Well, what are we going to talk about next week? Again, not sure yet. I'm thinking because I've been seeing a couple of things lately. I think I want to talk about trans. We talked about. I want. I think I want to do transportation in the apocalypse because I've come across a bunch of things lately that I think are kind of cool and I want to talk about. And I've always thought about different things about transportation and and uh, getting around in the apocalypse. You know, during and after, long term things like that. So uh, I think next week will be will be uh, transportation. So uh, final words for me. Uh, again, uh, again, as we all know. We lost Mr. Trampier again. You know, if you don't know much about him, uh, you know, you can look him up. There's more and more and more stuff popping up about him, and uh, check out those. You know, couple of Kickstarters. Uh, I posted one. Uh, Will posted some on the uh, the event page for the Metamorphosis Alpha and the Joe Wright uh, Kickstarters for uh, uh, the artwork and and the and the game there. So uh, that's it for me, uh, William. Uh, any last words? Well, I guess. Um... You know, work work on those craft skills now while you have the free time because you never know they could become some of the most valuable and sought after skills in the world after uh, after civilization collapse uh, collapses. If you're the one who's going to be making people's clothes, making people's armor, everyone's going to want to keep you alive, and that's a good that's a that's a good position to be in when people want to want to keep you alive. And I guess the uh, only other thing, just so I can get. Uh, Get my shameless plug in. Uh, my uh, my most recent book, The Jester Dragon's Random Brothel Generator. It's a uh, system agnostic gaming source book, uh, which I wrote and illustrated. It's all random tables for designing your own brothel, from the brothel's name to its clientele to what STDs people might catch there. It's it's a <laughs> lot of fun. Oh, it's oh yeah, it is yeah, a no, lot nothing, of fun. Nothing, nothing's more fun than some drippy dick. That's great. <laughs> Yeah. Oh no, it's great. You, can, you know, you could you could get the burning pox or the galloping shingles, but um, it's uh, it's up uh, it's available on drivethroughrpg.com. Wow, it's that, pay what that you is, want. That is not what you want to go to the to, to, to the cleric for. <laughs> you know, it's like you, know, you expect the party to show up at the cleric at the temple. And go, well, we got our dead friend. We were dragged out of the dungeon. We'd like him resurrected, please. But you don't have them show up and go. Yeah, I got the galloping shingles. What can you do for me? You know, I expect that's going to cost more than resurrecting your buddy. It's heavy penance. Does does it have uh, dragon gonorrhea in it or anything like that? You know what? Oh, (laughs) jeez. 
is 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 it worse because it's like different kinds of dragons? Like, well, you got the dream green dragon gonorrhea, where a cloud of chlorine gas shoots up. Oh, I'm sorry. That's pretty horrific. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so if you, you want, so, so, so if you want diseases from brothels and clientele. Uh, again, uh, what was that again? Where was it? Where can they get it? Well, it's uh, drive through RPG, RPG. Well, it's available on drivethroughrpg.com is the main uh, main place where you can find it. It's available in a couple of other uh, online PDF uh, retailers. RPG Now, uh, I believe Paizo.com has it on their uh, uh, their online store as well. All right, cool. Thanks, Will. And Scott, for any final words, and you need to make a shameless plug about your uh, Delta Green special. You're, you're right. I, I do need to make a shameless plug. Uh, the nice folks at uh, Bundle of Holding and the nice folks at Drive Through RPG have uh, finally gotten together, and uh, we are now doing a Bundle of Holding uh, offer uh, through uh, in conjunction with Drive Through RPG. Um, there are eight days, twelve hours, forty-five minutes, and thirty-six, thirty-five, thirty-four, thirty seconds left for you to go out uh, as of uh, Monday. Uh, March 30th, 2014. We have, uh, like I said, eight more days of this, uh, where you can go out and for a very modest price, uh, $8.95, you can get uh, four of the uh, uh, primary Delta Green, five, excuse me, of the Delta Green books uh, on uh, PDF. And uh, then for like 20 bucks, uh, you load up on the whole thing. So uh, uh, there's a little bump where they accidentally left off two books, but they're putting them on the bundle, so that if you've ordered the bundle, you'll get you know you'll get more. That uh, they will make sure that you get Dark Theaters and PX Poker Night. But uh, yes, you'll get uh, you'll get Delta Green, uh, Delta Green Eyes Only, Delta Green Countdown, Delta Green Targets of Opportunity, and then the fiction books, uh, Alien Intelligence, The Night of the Enemy. Through a Glass Darkly, and Dark Theaters. Uh, all of that will be available, plus the standalone uh, uh, PX Poker Night scenario. So all of that will be available through a Bundle of Holding, and for those of you who are looking for a Bundle of Holding, that's literally bundleofholding.com. Cool. Um, Thanks, Scott. And, and your final thoughts about Clothing on the Apocalypse. Clothing on the Apocalypse thought. All right. Um, the, again, it's a tool. Uh, and it is a it is a uh, a hard to replace tool uh, that wears out like every other tool in the apocalypse. And unless you want to be you know wandering around with your feet wrapped in rags, you know, with your Johnson flapping in the wind, you're going to have to take steps uh, to uh, uh, you know to to stockpile, maintain, and learn to make this tool. It's it's really underrated now that I think about it. It's incredibly underrated. Oh, and our last thought really should be. The underwear. Oh, oh we, yeah. totally, we totally forgot to mention that. Okay, no. folks, we got to talk about underwear for a second. Sorry, yeah. we're we're going to continue on just for another moment. Yeah, under underwear is you know uh, clearly important because it keeps your your it keeps your taint off your clothes and helps uh, extend the life of your clothes. But again, the classic underwear moment in the apocalypse is brought to us by J. Michael Straczynski in his series uh, Jer uh, Jeremiah. Where the, bad, where the bad guys, the, the sort of uh, continuity of government, you know, assholes down in a bunker in Valhalla Sector who are coming out after the plague to take back over the world. When one of their assassins gets killed, uh, you know, with no ID, no, he's, gee, he doesn't have any food on him, he doesn't have, you know, where did he come from? His boots don't look well-traveled in, he has got this great high-powered rifle with a scope, you know. 
and he's got underwear. He's got fresh, clean underwear. And that was the most terrifying moment for our post-apocalyptic survivors was, hey, it's one thing if these guys got helicopters and antiviral suits and they've got all the guns and all the flashlights and the radios and flamethrowers. That's, that's a lot of resources. But the fact that they have surplus resources so much that they can produce a regular supply of fresh, clean underwear, we're in trouble. They clearly have all the logistics because, oh, my God. Oh, it, it wasn't just that he was wearing clean underwear. Didn't he have, like, an extra pair or something? No, no, no. It's just They just pulled up the guy's pants like, why are you showing me this guy's ass? He's like, you're really not looking at me. And then he looks again. He's like, oh, my God. He's wearing underwear. When's the last time you saw underwear? You know, because people are making clothes, but one thing they're not making is freaking underwear. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, yes, underwear is, you know, you know, I think that that's a modern invention, you know, relatively modern. So um, they didn't have necessarily have it, you know, for many it's, years. It's it's it's, it's uh, something from at least uh, the Renaissance forward, but only for the richest people. You know, it doesn't become a, a common item until I'm betting the 19th century. You yeah, what about the Industrial uh, Revolution? Yeah. Uh, when they can crank it out and you know just great scads of it through the uh, through you know uh, industrial uh, uh, clothes manufacturers in the Northeast and, and mills and things, uh, but yeah, it's only been around for for everybody for maybe a century and a half, and even then only for the industrialized world. So uh, another thing that you want to stockpile in is you want to hit your targets, Walmart's, uh, wherever you got, and you want to just like take armloads of your uh, six packs of Hanes underwear because you're gonna need them because they're gonna wear out. And we don't have underwear, and you're you're gonna chafe. So and it's, and and it's not coming back. It's not coming back soon. No. Yeah, if, if you are not in that first wave, you're going to be stuck. The only option that's going to be left to you is going to be the Spencer's Gifts 40, over 40, over the hill underwear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, the guys have to strip bye-bye with banana hammocks. And, uh, or worse, wearing women's underwear, that would be hilarious. So they have to wear the... the, the... <laughs> well, that can all tie into the wedding dress post-apocalyptic story. Yeah, there you well, go. The, best part, the best part about the wedding dress thing is the idea that there'd be a wedding dress, and it wouldn't be like you tear the the giant froofy stuff off of it, like the giant, you know, frosting-looking, you know, apparel, and just wear the other garment. No, you'd have to wear all of it plus the hat, you know? <laughs> we don't want to get rid of That fabric's a resource. Well, all, yeah, those, so you, all those layers equal warmth, dude. Come on, don't you know, be stupid. <laughs> it's warmth, but it's also a trade good. You can just cut off a good chunk you of fine what? fabric, and I now you can. I think of all those pictures of those child soldiers in Africa who are wearing like giant cocktail dresses and wedding dresses while they're chopping people's arms and legs off with machetes. You know what I'm talking about? Neither That's of you. That's new you to me. Like? All right. Uh, we'll, 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 we'll save. We'll save that. So anyway, so we need we need somebody to write that the wedding dress apocalypse story. So, so all right. So that that's that is that is it for this week. Uh, so two weeks from now, uh, we are going to talk about transportation, and we're going to talk about some of our favorite vehicles, and we all know what that is. Yeah. Um, well, of course. So for me. Jared W. Wallace, Apocalypse Nerd, William T. Th- uh, Thrasher, and from Adam Scott, the bomb Glancy, this is Podcast Act Round Zero. <laughs> Good night, folks. See y'all later. This is not work. This is this bomb.